my wife Sarah and I, we were married in 1998. And it was early in 1999, we found out that we were going to have our first son, okay? Um, and I remember that time of being really nervous. We hadn't planned to have kids that soon, but we started right away. My wife is really beautiful, so it's bound to happen, you guys, okay? So we're planning to have our first son, and like all parents, we start talking about kids' names. And what I knew right away is I wanted our kids' names to mean something. Like I'd really thought about it, and we had had a lot of conversations, and I was like, hey, I want all of our kids to have a name that means something. If you know our kids, all of their names have special meanings. Our first son is Josiah Peace. Peace is his middle name, and it means my God or my Lord delivers peace. And we felt like that was something we were speaking over his life. Um, Our second son, Micah, his name is Micah Faithful, and it means who is like the Lord Faithful. Um, I won't go through all eight of our kids because that would take most of the morning, okay? But each of our kids' names, they mean something. Like it was speaking something over their life, and we chose their name for a specific reason. Um, When we adopted, many of you guys know our story, and um, part of our family story is adoption. We chose our kids' names that we adopted, and once again, they have a special meaning. Gabriel Defender means the Lord is my strength and my defender. And we wanted our kids to think about that, of the different names and the meaning that their name has. And so it really shocked me recently as I was reading through the Bible again last year when I realized in our scripture, God doesn't have a name. Don't know if you've ever thought about that. But God doesn't have a name in the Bible that we read on your smartphone or even if you have a Bible. um, He doesn't really have a name in what you read. It would be like, um, now we call him God, right? Or sometimes he's referred to to as Lord. But that's more of a category. It would be like you going to work and calling your friend human. So turn to the next person next to you and say, hey, human. Okay? It's a little impersonal, isn't it, right? And that's how many times we refer to God like, hey, human, can you take out the trash? Hey, human, can you go do this? Can you give me that report? Like, it's accurate, right? It's a category, but it's kind of impersonal. And as I begin to think about this and reflect on it and research it, um, it took me down this rabbit trail. And I want to spend the next few weeks and I want to have a conversation with you about this idea right here. God has a name and his name means something. And there's something powerful when we as his people reflect on the names of God that we see in Scripture and the way that he was referred to in the Bible. And that's how I want us to spend the next few weeks is looking and understanding the names of God. And my prayer for you is not that you just walk away from these few weeks with a little bit more knowledge. Like, okay, now I know some things about the name of God. But that as you understand his name, that you would fall more in love with him. That you would understand more about his character and his nature and who he is in relationship with you. My prayer is not that you would just walk away a little bit smarter about Christian stuff, but that it's you would walk away more in love with your creator than you've ever been. That's my prayer for these next few weeks. And so I want to encourage you, maybe you normally don't, but there is a sheet of paper if you're here in person. If you're watching with us online, you can open up the NCC app, or if you're here in person, you can. I want you to take notes because this morning we're going to look at this idea, how did God lose his name? And what did that mean? And what does the name of God mean? And how does it encourage us or challenge us when we understand the name of God? In the scriptures, God was not always without a name. He wasn't always just referred to as a category. The name that God revealed himself 
to us, um, how he revealed himself to his creation is with the name Yahweh. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you never have. The name of Yahweh was in the scripture. It was in the oral traditions. It was in the story that was handed down. But what happened is around 580, if you know the story of the people of God, they were taken away from the land God promised them, carried them into captivity. And when they came back, they thought this, we rebelled against God. That's why we no no longer were in the promised land. That's why we lost the nation that we were a part of. And so God's name is sacred, and so they stopped speaking the name of God. So for thousands of years, the name of God was talked about. They worshiped God by his name, but then they stopped saying the name of God. And when it was written, there were just three letters that were given to write the name of God. Kind of in our language, it would be close to probably what is YWH. Those were the three letters many times that um, were abbreviated to write down the name of God. When people, the people of God were speaking to each other in conversation and in telling stories, they would refer to God as Hashem. That's how you would converse with someone else about the name of God. You would talk about him as Hashem. And in prayers, in worship, in songs of praise to God, they would refer to him as Adonai. But his name was Yahweh, and that's how he had always been referred to. But the people of God felt it was sacred, and so they stopped using the name of God. Now, whenever we got the scriptures, whenever those were handed down to us, that tradition was kind of continued. And so we adopted the idea of God or Lord in the scriptures when it's talking about Yahweh, who he is as a person. And the people of God not only referred to him as Yahweh, but they understood him as an Elohim. An Elohim is a category. It's a Hebrew word. Um, So you can write that down if you want to. It's this category of a spiritual being, someone that is not like us, what we can see in the physical world. So in the Hebrew scriptures, Elohim is used to refer to Yahweh at times, but it's also used to refer to angels or demons or even other spiritual beings that are described in the Bible that sometimes are really difficult to understand. But then the people of God would also refer to Yahweh as Elohim of Elohim. It was this idea that although there may be other spiritual beings, there may be other spiritual forces that we can't see beyond this physical world, that Yahweh stands apart from any other. They would call him Elohim of Elohim, that there is no one else like Yahweh. There is no other spiritual being like Yahweh, that he is different than anyone else. And in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see this. Like if we could go back thousands of years, imagine going back thousands of years, there were all of these stories of different Elohim. There was the Elohim of the Babylonians named Marmaduke. And it was thought that when he created the world that the gods were lazy and they were tired of working, so they made women and men to do the work for them. And they didn't want to labor anymore, so they said, we will create humans Right? We'll create people, and they will do the work for us, and so we don't have to work anymore. There were other ancient civilizations that decided we don't know which of the gods should be most powerful, which Elohim is more powerful. So they said, we'll create men and women, and they'll worship us, and they'll decide who is the most popular god. And yet when the people of Yahweh told this story, their creation story was very different. And it's about this Elohim who wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. And he wasn't tired of doing work. He loved his creation. 
It's one of the few ancient stories where you see an Elohim kneeling down above the ground and forming men and women out of the dust of the ground and breathing his very essence into them. And as you hear this story, as you read this early ancient poetry, what you seem is this isn't just any Elohim. This is Elohim Yahweh. He is different from any other spiritual being. He's the creator. See, these stories were talked about over and over again, not only in the Hebrew scriptures, but other people. When they encountered this God, Yahweh, he was different than anything they had ever experienced before. Maybe you've heard the story of the ancient pharaohs and the people of God, how they were in slavery for 400 years. And when Yahweh came to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, okay? It's not just a famous 70s song, you guys, okay? It's in the Bible. And when he says that, let my people go, Pharaoh resists. And he says, I'm not going to let your people go. And all of these plagues come on the land of Egypt until after the 10th plague, Pharaoh says this, Moses, take the people of God and worship on your mountain. Take silver and gold. Take whatever it is you need from Egypt because your Elohim is Elohim. There is no Elohim like Yahweh. All the gods of Egypt can't stand up against your God. See, even people outside of the faith of Yahweh saw him and knew there is something different about this spiritual being. He's unlike anything else that we have ever encountered. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 5 tells a similar story. You can turn there later. The the people of God were in battle with this other group of people called the Philistines. The Philistines worshipped an Elohim called Dagon. And they defeated the people of Yahweh and they took the Ark of the Covenant. Any Indiana Jones fans in the room? Okay, a few of you guys. You guys know what I'm talking about. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of Yahweh. And they took it from the battle because they defeated the people of God. And they put it in the temple of Dagon. And the priests went about their duties. And when they closed the door that night, the statue of Dagon fell over as if it was bowing in front of the ark of the Lord. The box that represented the presence of Yahweh. The priests come in the next morning and they are alarmed and they're scared. And they're like, what's going on? And so they take the statue, the idol of Dagon, they stand it back up. And they go about their duties, and the next night when they shut the doors, the statue falls again. But this time, it breaks into pieces. The arms and the legs fall off, and when they come in the next morning, it is laying on the ground. And they say, get this thing out of the temple of Dagon. There is no Elohim like Yahweh. There's no one like this God. He stands apart from every other spiritual being. And so the people of God, over and over again, we see this idea that they understood that Yahweh, he is Elohim of Elohim. There is no one else like him. There is no other spiritual being like him. He stands apart from every other created thing. He is the creator. And so I want to ask you this first question. It's this, who do you worship? Who do you worship? If we were to go back thousands of years and and we were to live among the time that we're talking about, people had this certain understanding of the world around them. And they didn't have Google to look stuff up on. And so they went outside, right? And they noticed that there was something in the sky that was really bright that moved from one, what it looked like, one end of the horizon to the next. 
and it seemed to give life, and it seemed to give energy, and it seemed to control things. And they started to think there must be some Elohim behind that. And so what they did is they formed these ceremonies and these rituals and these different things to worship or to honor or to pay respect, right? Their energy, their resources went to this Elohim, the sun, right, that, that would bring light into the world. And others said, no, you've got it wrong. It's not the Elohim of the day. There are some light in the middle of the night that comes out, right, that forces the sun to go down, this light to go down, and that's what's controlling things. And others said, no, it's this water that falls from the sky. That's what it is that's controlling things. And so they would worship, right? they do ceremonies. There was rituals. There was effort. There was energy. All of your life, depending, depending on where you lived, who your parents were, the kind of household that you were brought up in, you had a different Elohim that you were focused in on and that you would worship. And you may even do certain dances. You may do certain rituals. There may be certain things that you do to let that God, if you will, know that you were honoring them, that you were recognizing them. Maybe you were a fisherman, and so you would honor the God of the water or the God of the sea, right? And you would say, hey, I recognize what you're doing to provide. Who do you worship? Now, I know you're probably sitting there, maybe you're worshiping with us online, and you think, Aaron, why are we even talking about this, right? Like, we're in 2021, and we have science now, and we're so enlightened, and we've grown, right? Like, we understand the way everything works, and we're not people that worship the elements around us, but I would say we're probably not that different from people that lived thousands of years ago. And just like I think we look back and we're like, that all seems so odd and so strange and so weird. Why would you devote that much energy and time to um, a burning ball of gas that's floating in the sky, right? And in our galaxy here, in our solar system, why would you do that? I wonder if we'll be thought of it the same way. Wait, so you spend all of your time and your mental energy just trying to get a certain position or a title? Your efforts and your focus of your life was just on possessions? Do I live in the right house? Do I have the right car? Do I have the right clothes? Do I have the right things? Wait, you're telling me that people would spend hours posting pictures of what they ate, hoping that someone else would like it? Or some experience that they were doing and, and trying to make sure that enough people were giving them the thumbs up to what it is that they were doing. That somehow that kind of fame or popularity was worth devoting your life and your time and your energy and your resources to. To which I would ask the question, who do you worship? See, for some of us, it's possessions. And for others, it's a position. And for some, it's a title, and for some, it's popularity. And we think, if I could just get there, or if I just arrive at this point, and we have different rituals, don't we, and different ceremonies, and we may think of them different, but we're worshiping it. We're giving it our time and our energy and our focus, and that's what has our heart. That's what has everything about us. And the people of God had this saying, no, Yahweh is Elohim of Elohim. He's the only one that's worthy of that. He's the only one. He stands apart from everything else. He's the one that deserves your attention and your focus and your worship and your love and your energy. That is, he is the one who you should be worshiping. 
And so there are these scriptures where God reveals himself to his people and he has to remind them of this in Exodus chapter 20 when he says this, you will have no other Elohim besides me. In Exodus 20, 23, when he says it like this, do not make any Elohim to be alongside of me. Do not make for yourself Elohim of gold or of silver or of wood or stone or any of those things. He says, I stand apart from every other created thing. In Psalms 136 and verse 2, he says it like this. The people of God give thanks to the Elohim of Elohim for his love endures forever. They're saying, don't forget who it is that you are called to worship. Don't forget who it is that you are called to give your attention and your life to. Don't forget who it is that should have your entire focus. There is no one else like Yahweh. He is Elohim of Elohim. Who do you worship, church? What is it that has your attention and your focus? Because there is only one God who should have that. You know, I try to be honest from the stage here because my prayer is that in some way it may help you guys or help you to grow. And this is an honesty moment. I, last year, as I've shared with some of you guys, I lost my dad um, to COVID. And it wasn't until the fall that we could have this memorial service. And so for some reason in the fall, man, I was going through a difficult time. And um, I'd have good days and bad days, and there were some really hard days. And I noticed this, that when I bought stuff, I felt a little bit better. So I gave Amazon some of my business, you guys. And my family started to make fun of me because I collect these little, like, pop TV figures. And every day a new one was coming in the mail. And Sarah started to say, seriously? <laughs> um, and, but it, it helped a little bit. Like, I noticed that. I'd feel a little bit better. Or I'd get home from work and... And we had plenty of groceries in the house, but man, one click of a button with DoorDash, and whatever I wanted was right there, right? And I could be having a hard day, but thank you, Latham's Bakery, for that sweet cinnamon roll, okay? Or, or whatever it was, like I could just order something into my house, and I remember late fall, I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm having this conversation with God, and he said, Aaron, you've started to worship something else. And I didn't want to hear it. And God said, you're looking for your comfort and satisfaction in other things instead of coming to me. And we wrestled, okay, like back and forth. I tried to argue with God. That's not what this is. And he said, no, something else has your attention right now. And so I had to have this awkward conversation of sitting down with my wife. I've always done our finances and I had to say, hey, I need you to take everything over for a few months. Because this is what I've decided. Nothing else is more important than Yahweh in my life. And if anything else can grab my attention or distract me, I don't want that in my life right now. And so can I tell you, it was awkward and it was hard as a grown man to have to go to my wife and say, hey, I can't handle this right now. I need you to help me. And so we put up some healthy boundaries and and I took a couple of months, and after those few months, we revisited it. And I was able to take back over the finances because I was in a different place. But can I tell you, I'm a pastor. And I've been following Jesus for 20 years. 
And if I'm not careful, something else will steal my heart. None of us are immune from it, church. We need to evaluate that question, who are you worshiping? Because there is only one Elohim of Elohim who deserves your worship. Nothing else, church. Nothing else deserves that. It is only Yahweh alone. That's why the people of God remembered the name of God, because his name meant something. And it was a reminder every time they spoke it, every time they said it, nothing else deserves my worship. Nothing else deserves my attention. It is only you, Yahweh. You're the only one. Which would lead me to my second question, which is this. What sacrifice are you relying on? What sacrifice are you relying on? I heard a pastor and a speaker um, mention this recently, and so I want to borrow from their illustration. But they were once again talking about these ancient times and people who thought that there were other Elohim in this world that controlled different things. And what they noticed and what they began to do was the crops would be really good one year, and so they would take a part of their crop And they would burn it or they would in some way offer it to say, I recognize that you took care of me and my family and you provided. And so here is a sacrifice. But it became this vicious cycle. Because here's what would happen is one year the crops would be good, but the next year they would be even better. You would have double the corn or you'd have double the vegetables that you planted, whatever it was. Like you'd have double and what would you do? You had to give more, didn't you? You had to give more because you had to recognize that more was given. Or maybe you fished and one day you caught 10 fish, but the next you caught 20. You had to give more because the Elohim of the water, you had to recognize. You had to offer something because they were giving something. You had to do something in return. But then what would happen next year? There's a drought. And it led to this thinking the gods must be mad at us, right? The Elohim are angry. They're upset with us. And so what do we do? We have to offer more. What we gave last time was not enough. We need more. We need more and we need more. Until there wasn't meat to offer and there wasn't grain to offer. And so people began to cut themselves. There were priests and people in ancient times that would literally cut their arms and cut their sides. And they would bleed in an effort to say, Whoever you are out there, spiritual force, I want to give you more and I recognize you and you must be mad at me. So here I'm going um, to suffer, I'm going to inflict pain on my body to somehow appease you. I hope you're happy. And then that wasn't enough. Bleeding from your own body wasn't enough. And so there was this horrible act to the Elohim Chemosh, the Elohim Molech, other cultures that had Elohims where you would offer your own son or daughter. I have nothing else to give, and you require more. And so here's what I'm bringing. It's the only sacrifice that I have. And they were killing their own children because God must be angry. The gods must be mad at us, and we have nothing else to give. But when you read the story of the Bible, it's different. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. And there's this story of Yahweh appearing to this man named Abraham. And Yahweh shows up on the scene. And Abraham, who has no kids, Yahweh promises him, you're going to have children. 
and your children are going to be, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky, than the sands on the um, beaches, like more, more than you could ever count. That's going to be your descendants. And Abraham doesn't have any kids. And yet when he's about 100 years old, he has his first child. Crazy story. And then one night, as Isaac, his son, has grown up, God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, I always get to this part of the story and probably like you, I freak out like, what is going on? But just stick with me. I promise this story is going somewhere, right? So Yahweh says, sacrifice Isaac. And so Abraham takes his son Isaac to the mountain that God had told him to. Isaac's older and he realizes and he stops. In verse 8, we see this. He says, hey, dad, we got the fire. We got the ceremonial knife. We have the wood, but we have no sacrifice. What are we going to do? And Abraham looks at his son and he says, Yahweh will provide the sacrifice. And so they walk up to the side of the mountain. They get up top to the mountain. When they had reached, verse 9 says, when they'd reached the place, the Lord told him about Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of Yahweh called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. And Yahweh said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now that I know that you fear me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, Abraham, look up and there in the thicket he saw a ram and he caught it by his horns and he took it over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, Yahweh will provide. Yahweh will Jireh. And to this day it is said on the mountain of Yahweh, he is Jireh. He's the provider. Now, when you first read this story, probably like me, you're like, what in the world is going on here? But just stop and reflect on this for a moment. The weird thing is Abraham doesn't object, does he? Why? Because that's what you did to make Elohim's happy or the Elohim happy is you would sacrifice whatever it was that they required. And yet Yahweh is different. Because he comes to Abraham to show him, you can't provide a sacrifice. You won't ever have to do that. I will be the sacrifice and I will provide it. And what you and I have to give is never enough to make God happy or to appease God. It always falls short. And yet there is a God in scripture named Yahweh who said, I will be your provision. I will take care of this. I will provide the sacrifice. You guys, this was totally revolutionary. No one had ever heard of this before. You as people always had to offer more and more and more. And for a God to show up on the scene and say, no, you don't have to provide the sacrifice. I will be the sacrifices. I will be the sacrifice was totally different. And I think about this. I grew up in a church context. Maybe some of you are familiar with this, of in a place where I think, oh man, as the church, we forgot the name of God. Because as a follower of Jesus, this is what I was taught. If I could work hard enough, and if I could do enough good stuff, and if somehow the good things could outweigh the bad things, then God would be happy with me. 
And maybe what I had done would somehow appease God and he would let me into heaven and, and he would acknowledge that he loved me. That's what I needed is I needed more works. And I grew up in a church and in a religious time where there was a list of rules. And um, if you didn't smoke, cuss or chew or date girls who do, then you were okay, right? Like you did the right things and somehow God would be happy. But if you messed up and you did anything on the no list, then God was upset with you. And we forgot his name was Yahweh Jireh. He's the sacrifice, you guys, not me and you. He's the one who provides. He's the one. That's the power of the story of Scripture. Do you understand your mistakes and my sin had broke our relationship with God and I had no goodness to offer him and you had no goodness to offer him and yet he sends his own son. That is his name. He will provide the sacrifice. And he said, that's who I am. I am Yahweh Jireh. I will stand in your stead. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed. My blood is enough to cover it. That's who I am. That's what my name is. Whose sacrifice are you relying on? Are you waiting on your own goodness to somehow get you in God's favor? Because I'm here to tell you, it's not enough. But the beauty of the gospel is... He has given his life. He has given himself. He has sacrificed himself for us. He is the Elohim of Elohims. There is no one like him. And so I want you to reflect on this this morning, that he is more than enough. He is more than enough. There were all of these ancient people that really believed that, that there was an Elohim of the land and he would take care of the crops or there was an Elohim of the water and he would provide the life through water. Or there was an Elohim of the sky or of the light or of the darkness. Or There were all of these, an Elohim of the death. There were all of these gods somehow and the people of Yahweh started to realize, no, there's one. There's only one. And he is more than enough for everything that we need in our life. So they begin to call him by those names. Not different gods, not a God for every separate thing, not different Elohims. They begin to call him Yahweh Jireh. Because in Genesis chapter 22, they saw that you're the God that provides. Lord, we don't have to offer a sacrifice in and of ourselves. Lord, it is found in you. The psalmist said in Psalms chapter 23, verse 1, You are Yahweh Ra, you are the Lord my shepherd, and I shall not want. You're the God who shepherds us and who feeds us and who takes care of us. And God, you bring us the provision that we need. That's who you are. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, he is Yahweh Nisi. He is the Lord, your God, your banner. That whenever the people of God were going out to battle and there was the Egyptian army coming up against them, Yahweh said, I will cover you and you won't even have to fight. I'll take care of the battle for you. That's who I am. In scriptures, we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he is Yahweh Shalom. The Bible says that he is your prince of peace. Church, I don't know what you need this morning. I don't know what you're going through, but I am here to tell you Yahweh is Elohim of Elohim. There is no one else like him. And whatever it is that you need, 
God is your provision. He's the one who will take care of you. He is the one who will provide for you. That's what the scripture reminds us of. You guys, your God has a name. His name is more than enough for whatever it is that you need. And so I want to ask you this morning one more time, who are you worshiping? Do other things have your attention and your focus? Is there something else in the central place of your life that only God should be residing in? He's worthy of your worship. What sacrifice are you relying on? Are you hoping that your good works and what it is that you do will somehow get you in right standing with God? Because it's only his sacrifice that makes the way to him, that opens the door in our relationship to God. We can't be good enough. We can't try to do enough stuff. And the Bible says that his sacrifice made the way. He is Yahweh Jireh. He's more than enough, church. And I want to invite you to take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes and just reflect on who God is. And I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here in the room this morning, or maybe you're worshiping with us online, and that's not your image of who God is. Maybe you have a different thought, but I'm here this morning to tell you He is a God who loves you. He's different than anyone else. He is the Elohim of Elohims, and He desires to be in relationship with His creation. He's made the way. So you don't have to wait till you're good enough. You don't have to wait till your life is perfect or everything in your life lines up to come to him. He wants a relationship with you. Now he's already paid the price and made the sacrifice. And if you're disconnected from him, if you're away from God this morning, he is all that you need. He's more than enough. And I want to pray with I want us to pray together this morning. And if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to invite everyone in the room to pray this together. You may be by yourself in your home at the kitchen table or maybe in the living room watching this. I want you to pray out loud with us. Let's say this together. Lord, I come to you. I recognize who you are. You are more than enough. You're the sacrifice that I need. And so I admit that I've sinned. I'm separated from you, but I invite you into my life. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Church, can you just put your hands together and celebrate? The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing if you pray that prayer, that God enters into our life, Yahweh comes in, and that he starts that relationship with us, and that he is rejoicing because he loves you and he wants to be close to you. Church, I want all of us to respond in one more way this morning, and if you're worshiping online and you can, open up this NCC sermon app because it is there. If you're here in person, there was a sheet of paper on your seat when you sat down this morning. And it has the names of God. And I just want us to take about 60 seconds here towards the end of this service together. And I want us to reflect on the names of God. The worship team's gonna just continue to play lightly behind us. But this morning, you may need to remember the name of God.
Maybe you're going through something and you need God's provision. Maybe this morning there is sickness in your body and you need to remember that he is your healer. Maybe this morning you need guidance and you need to remember he is the good shepherd. He lights the path in front of you and he directs your way. Whatever it is that you need, I'm telling you, he is more than enough for you this morning. And so I want to encourage you. We're going to take about 60 seconds together. I'm going to stop talking. And whatever you need, those names are listed there. Just begin to reflect on that. You may need to say it out loud. You are Yahweh Jireh. You are Yahweh Nisi. You are Yahweh Rapha. You are the God who takes care of me. Whatever it is, allow your mind and your heart to reflect on that, that he is more than enough. Let's do that together this morning, church.